Welcome to the Mastering Blood Sugar Podcast. This is episode number 26, Diabetes Insights with Dr. Brian Mole. My name is Dr. Brian Mole, the diabetes coach, certified and master licensed diabetes educator, and IFM certified functional medicine practitioner. Each week on the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast, I bring you an inspiring health or lifestyle expert to help you learn to boost your metabolism, lose weight, and master your blood sugar with natural drug-free strategies. Thanks for being here with me today, and let's get started. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Brian Mole, the Diabetes Coach. Welcome to the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast and our first ever episode of Diabetes Insights, where I talk about insights and information from clinical research that can help us better understand blood sugar regulation and diabetes management. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about angry fat, that's inflammatory fat or adipose tissue, and the inflammatory nature of adipocytes, which can lead to insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. We're actually going to dive even deeper than that and talk about adipokines, which are the compounds secreted by adipocytes or fat cells. And there are some pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory adipokines, and we'll talk about how those affect the cells of our body, the liver, the muscles, and other parts of our body, and what their role is in insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. We're going to be looking at three different papers today. The first one comes out of the Archives of Medical Research from 2008 entitled White Adipose Tissue as Endocrine Organ and Its Role in Obesity. So just as an overview, we have two types of fat tissue, white adipose tissue and brown adipose tissue. Brown adipose tissue, although it's been an area of interest for biohackers uh, doing cryotherapy and other types of biohacking to try to increase brown fat, it's mostly found in, in humans and babies and it's basically metabolically active, rich, mitochondria-rich fat tissue. Most adult humans have very little brown fat and have a much, much higher percentage of white fat or white adipose tissue. And this white fat is stored in our subcutaneous tissue just under the skin, uh, as well as in the viscera, where it can become even more problematic. That's largely what's associated with type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. We can also have ectopic fat storage. That's fat that's stored actually in our muscles or in our organs. We can have liver fat, pancreatic fat, fat in other tissues and organs where it should not necessarily accumulate in large amounts. And that's been shown to lead to insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. So one of the things that's been fairly recently discovered and described is that our white adipose tissue is biologically active and it actually makes things. It actually releases 
hormones and cytokines and other compounds which exert significant effects over our glucose metabolism, insulin sensitivity, and other biological functions. So we're going to talk a lot about that today and how it's relevant to insulin sensitivity and type 2 diabetes. So this first article opens with an introduction where they say, the main role of white adipose tissue is the storage of triglycerides during energy consumption and fatty acid release when energy expenditure exceeds energy intake. Although white adipose tissue has been considered as a metabolically inactive tissue, we now know that it controls energy metabolism. So the main role of fat tissue during energy consumption when we're eating is the storage of triglycerides, the storage of energy. And when we're not eating and we're expending energy, it's the release of fatty acids, which then can be oxidized for energy. They go on to say adipose tissue functions can be classified into three aspects. First, it is related to lipid metabolism, including triglyceride storage and fatty acid release, which we just talked about. Second, it catabolizes triglycerides in order to release glycerol and fatty acids that participate in glucose metabolism in the liver and other tissues. Finally, adipocytes secrete adipokines, which can include hormones, cytokines, and other proteins with specific biological functions. So adipose tissue breaks down triglycerides into glycerol and fatty acids. That glycerol can be used for gluconeogenesis, the production of new sugar, and those free fatty acids can be broken down and oxidized for energy. Now, in the conclusion of this paper, the authors state several conditions associated with metabolic syndrome, including insulin resistance, hyperlipidemia, fatty liver, and hypertension will depend on the functionality of the adipose tissue. Functionality of adipose tissue cells is associated with their capacity to buffer the accumulation of excess energy consumed through the diet and also to provide fatty acids as energy source when the organism requires it. In addition, Functionality of the adipocyte depends also on the capacity of this cell to respond to external signals provided mainly by hormones such as insulin, glucagon, or adrenaline. So I'm going to talk about why all this is important here in just a few minutes and how inflammation will ultimately lead to insulin resistance and drive type 2 diabetes. There's a lot of argument online about what causes insulin resistance. Is it too much fat in the diet? Is it too many carbohydrates? Is it purely genetic? Is it just being overweight? The truth is all of those answers are correct. And there are other things, in fact, that can lead to insulin resistance as well. So in this next paper, we're going to explore some of those, particularly looking at inflammation as a driver of insulin resistance. This paper was published in Molecular Aspects of Medicine in 2012. They first defined insulin resistance as an inadequate response by insulin-sensitive tissues, such as the liver, 
skeletal muscle, and adipose tissue to normal circulating levels of insulin. They stated that the causes of insulin resistance can either be genetic or acquired. It is, however, frequently due to interactions between environmental and lifestyle factors and genetic factors. They go on to list several causes on a cellular level of insulin resistance and insulin signaling disruption. Some of this might sound a little technical, but just bear with me and I'll explain it as we go through it. First, defective signal transduction along the insulin signaling cascade results in insulin resistance. For example, they state, Downregulation of insulin receptor protein level, as seen in obesity, can result in insulin resistance. They also state hyperinsulinemia, which means too much insulin in the blood, itself can reduce IRS protein via transcriptional regulation. Pro-inflammatory cytokines impair insulin signaling in insulin-sensitive tissue. Serine phosphorylation of IRS by free fatty acids and activation of NF-kappa-B mediated inflammatory pathways is also known to induce insulin resistance. So what does all that mean? It basically means that insulin resistance can come from obesity, specifically related to inflammation driven by these adipokines that we're going to talk about in a few minutes released by adipocytes or fat cells, which can impair insulin signaling. They can essentially block or interfere with the signals that are generated when insulin binds to its receptors on the cell membranes. They also stated that just having too much insulin, which can come from a high carbohydrate or high sugar diet, itself can interfere with insulin sensitivity. They also stated that elevated free fatty acids and NF-kappa-B mediated inflammatory pathways, which are other forms of inflammation, can lead to insulin resistance. As a quick aside, that doesn't mean necessarily that eating fat causes insulin resistance. What it means is that elevated levels of blood fat or free fatty acids can interfere with insulin sensitivity. They go on to say here, at the cellular level, pro-inflammatory cytokines such as TNF-alpha and interleukin-6 impair insulin signaling. Moreover, overactivation of inflammatory pathways in insulin-sensitive tissues gives rise to local and systemic insulin resistance in humans. Markers of systemic inflammation are strongly associated with insulin resistance, and predict the development of type 2 diabetes. In other words, inflammation causes insulin resistance and predicts the development of type 2 diabetes. And that's what we're talking about today. So I mentioned earlier that we're going to be talking about angry fat and how these fat cells actually drive inflammation. So later in this paper, they say this suggests a strong link between inflammation and the development of insulin resistance. It is now established that chronic low-grade inflammation, which predisposes insulin resistance, originates from adipose tissue. They state that adipose tissue secretes numerous bioactive peptides, collectively known as adipokines. 
Examples include peptides involved in glucose homeostasis, such as adiponectin, resistin, apelin and visfatin, leptin, chemokines, interleukin-8, and other pro-inflammatory cytokines, such as interleukin-6, 1, angiotensin-2, and TNF-alpha. I'm going to come back to this paper in a few minutes when we talk about actually what to do about this. But let me dive a little bit deeper into these adipokines and talk about how they're specifically related to inflammation and insulin resistance. So this next paper comes out of Trends in Biochemical Sciences from 2009. Really interesting paper called Adipokines as Novel Modulators of Lipid Metabolism. And they start by stating, in all animal species, the maintenance of energy reserves is essential. The absence of such reserves leads rapidly to death. And animals have evolved the capacity to store energy as fat that can be used to survive food shortages. However, not only starvation, but also obesity is pathological, and the abundance of food in today's industrialized societies has led to obesity becoming endemic. They describe the discovery or identity of the hormone leptin in the mid-1990s by Dr. Friedman and his co-workers, named after the Greek word leptos, which means thin, And they state that since then, we've identified more than 50 adipocyte-derived products. So it used to be thought that fat cells were just storage depots that really didn't do much. Now we know that they are metabolically active organs, in a sense, which contribute to health or can drive disease, like in the case of inflammation-induced insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. So they talk in detail about these various adipokines. I'm just going to talk about a couple of them. First is leptin, and leptin is synthesized mainly in response to food intake and fat storage. It's also a regulator of energy status, and it's affected by a variety of hormones and inflammatory mediators. Leptin exerts control over how we burn fats, lipid metabolism not only in the fat cells, but throughout the body. For example, they've shown that increased leptin will increase fat oxidation, fat burning, and decrease in fat storage. They've also found that leptin affects how insulin works. They found that leptin actually reduces the lipogenic effects of insulin. They stated the insulin-induced increase in triglycerol synthesis and decrease in fatty acid oxidation is reduced by simultaneous administration of leptin. What's interesting is that leptin seems to modulate the effect that insulin has on fat metabolism, but not on glucose metabolism. They stated leptin does not seem to modulate the effects of insulin on glycogen synthesis, glucose oxidation, or lactate production, and therefore probably does not interfere with the primary function of insulin, which is to reduce high circulating levels of glucose by upregulating glycogenesis in muscle and liver. So essentially, leptin is released by our fat cells when we eat and our fat cells start to swell, and it turns off the hunger sensation. Normal leptin levels are important to keep us 
feeling full and satiated and lean. And high leptin levels from overeating can lead to leptin resistance, which similar to insulin resistance, our cells become resistant to the effects of leptin, including the hypothalamus, and we lose the signal to stop eating. Now, another adipokine, which is very important, is called adiponectin. Adiponectin, which is also released by our fat cells, increases fatty acid oxidation, increases fat burning, and reduces glucose synthesis in the liver. So it essentially blocks gluconeogenesis. They found that circulating adiponectin levels tend to be low in obese people, and they will increase with weight loss. So as you lose weight, as you burn more fat, you actually increase adiponectin levels, which actually helps you to burn more fat. Adiponectin has also been shown to improve insulin sensitivity. They stated, consistent with a beneficial role of adiponectin and insulin sensitivity, disruption of adiponectin receptors abolishes adiponectin binding and activity resulting in insulin resistance and marked glucose intolerance. So anything that blocks or interferes with adiponectin binding to its receptor, which you might call adiponectin resistance, can lead to insulin resistance and glucose intolerance or eventually diabetes. They state it's been hypothesized that the development of atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease in obese patients is partly caused by low adiponectin levels and that these effects are due to its involvement in the regulation of both lipid and carbohydrate metabolism. For example, low adiponectin levels have been linked to small, dense LDL particles, high ApoB, and high triglyceride levels. So in a few minutes, we'll talk about how to encourage higher adiponectin levels which can improve insulin sensitivity, decrease insulin resistance, and protect us from type 2 diabetes. There are a number of other adipokines released by our fat cells, pro-inflammatory adipokines such as TNF-alpha, interleukin-2, and 6, and others which have been shown to reduce insulin sensitivity. They state that TNF-alpha is a paradigmatic pro-inflammatory cytokine produced mainly by macrophages and lymphocytes, but also by numerous other cells, including adipocytes. TNF-alpha is involved in the pathophysiology of insulin resistance. It acts at several levels on adipocyte lipid metabolism, inhibiting free fatty acid uptake, which leads to impaired triglyceride storage in adipose tissue. It also inhibits lipolysis or the breakdown of fat. There are a number of other adipokines. If you're interested in learning more, check out the paper. You can dive as deep as you want into this area. But let's shift gears and talk about how to improve the health of our fat cells, reduce inflammation, and reverse insulin resistance to prevent or improve blood sugar associated with diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Essentially, what I'm going to be talking about here is often described as exceeding our personal fat threshold. Essentially, when we overconsume energy-rich foods in the form of processed refined carbohydrates or refined fats and oils, or we just overeat in general, We can fill up our adipose tissue 
leading to inflammation of these fat cells, which drives insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. In this paper from Molecular Aspects of Medicine, they describe it this way. In a state of positive energy balance, adipose tissue expands to accommodate the storage of excess triglycerides. Defective adipose tissue expansion as a result of dysregulation of a number of factors leads to adipocyte injury, death, and inflammation. They again describe a variety of ways that this inflammation, these pro-inflammatory cytokines, lead to insulin resistance, most of which we've already discussed here in detail. One of these ways, though, we didn't mention, which is the ectopic lipid deposition, which basically means we store fat in areas like our muscles and our organs. And they state that this is, quote, attributed to the inability of the adipose tissue, mainly subcutaneous, to store excess energy due to reduced differentiation or remodeling capacity. In other words, we reach our personal fat threshold. These fat cells are no longer able to expand. We've reached capacity and fat starts getting stored other places. They go on to state that increased lipid or fat accumulation in the liver and skeletal muscle is associated with increased fatty acid flux, which leads to excessive accumulation of fatty acid intermediates such as ceramide, which can lead to inhibition of insulin signaling or insulin resistance. Ceramide can also directly inhibit AKT, And they've shown that inhibition of ceramide synthesis protects from insulin resistance. So let's wrap all this up. Overconsumption of energy-rich foods, processed refined carbohydrates, high-carb, high-fat foods, overeating causes energy surplus or what they state is positive energy balance. We fill up our fat cells in our subcutaneous tissue. Those fat cells become angry and start releasing inflammatory signals, cytokines like TNF-alpha and these interleukins and other chemicals. These inflammatory cytokines actually interfere with insulin signaling leading to insulin resistance. We also learn that high insulin levels, which can be caused by overstimulation from consumption of carbohydrate foods, leads to insulin resistance, decreased insulin signaling. And we learn that when we exceed that personal fat threshold, our body starts storing fat in other places like our muscles and our liver and our other organs, which leads to an overflow of free fatty acids and an accumulation of fatty acid intermediates like ceramide, which also leads to insulin resistance and decreases insulin signaling. So how do we reduce this insulin resistance, and how do we increase some of these beneficial adipokines like adiponectin? There are a number of ways to do that, but first is we need to get into an energy-deficient state so that we can start burning fat, and we can start reversing that fatty acid flux, reduce the fat stored in the liver, reduce the fat stored in the muscles, reduce our fat mass stored in our adipocytes, so those adipocytes can shrink and stop releasing all these inflammatory cytokines. 
exercise and fitness has also been shown to have a beneficial impact on adiponectin levels and on adipocytes. Interestingly, caffeine has been shown to increase adiponectin, whether it comes from green tea or coffee, caffeine's been shown to raise adiponectin levels. Cold temperatures have also been shown to raise adiponectin. So most people find that they sleep better in cooler temperatures, but studies have shown that temperatures of 19 degrees Celsius or 66 degrees Fahrenheit will increase adiponectin levels. Curcumin, the anti-inflammatory compound found in turmeric, has been shown to increase adiponectin levels. Dietary fiber consumption has been shown to raise adiponectin levels by up to 115%. Fiber can also stabilize blood sugar and decrease glycemic response. So fiber can be very important. And lastly, there's been several studies showing DHEA and EPA Omega-3 fatty acids can increase adiponectin levels by up to 50%. I'm going to talk about this in more detail in a future episode where we're really going to get into omega-3 fats and the beneficial effects they can have on inflammation and on fat cell-mediated insulin resistance. All right, so I hope you found that helpful. Check out these articles if you want to dive deeper into this topic and... Make sure you subscribe to the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast so you get alerts when I release new episodes. My goal is to do one of these every week, as well as our expert interviews and other segments that we're going to include as part of the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. So subscribe, and hey, if you like this, leave me a five-star review and a positive comment over on our iTunes Mastering Blood Sugar podcast site. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. This is Dr. Brian Mole, the Diabetes Coach, and I'll be back next week with another segment of Diabetes Insights. <music>